And let's give our band a big round of applause, the Heat Misers. I don't know if we've already used that one, but uh, it looks like we've got another hot one today. So, as always, I apologize to the first two rows, as we like to call it the Splash Zone. And I'd like to uh, thank my sponsor, Old Spice, for letting me smell like a Fiji beach, as it's about, gonna, it's about to look like I jumped in one. So, let's get started, dive on into our sermon for today. Uh, we're in a series entitled Longing for Home, Longing for Home, and last week we talked about how there are certain times in our lives where events happen that we look at and say to ourselves and to others, it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be this way. Over the past few months, our nation has experienced many moments where we have collectively pointed and said, it is not supposed to be this way. COVID-19 brought uh, a lot of fear and a lot of loss of life, as well as difficult but necessary restrictions that brought, uh, were brought into our lives and economic hardships have happened as a result of that. We've also seen acts of racial injustice and also difficult responses to that. And not to mention, our own personal lives are continuing and the difficulties that you face in your own personal lives are happening while all these other things are going on. And so all of this, at one point or another, we've all had moments where we can point to and say, it's not supposed to be this way. This has happened before, but even more so in the past six months. These past six months have painfully shown us that this world is not how it is supposed to be. But if we're honest with ourselves, even when things are going our way, there's still a part of us that whispers, is this all there is? Last week I referenced an interview with the famous world-renowned chess champion Tom Brady. Um, I think it's chess, but anyway. Uh, who at the height of his career, he was interviewed and he said, uh, with all of his career accomplishments, with everything that he had uh, uh, succeeded in doing and all the fame and all uh, the things that went along with that, he said, there's got to be more than this. Is this all there is? And so last week we talked about this part of our heart that knows deep down our world is not as it is supposed to be and that even the most satisfying experiences do not fully satisfy our hearts. We describe this feeling as our longing for home because, as Lewis states, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. So if I find within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And Scripture, of course, supports what Lewis is saying. Uh, Jesus tells us that he is going to prepare a place for us, a place that we will get to live. We also see a vision of the new heaven and new earth that Jesus is preparing for us, and it shows us a paradise where things are as they are supposed to be. No more mourning, no more death many tribes, tongues and, tongues, and nations coming together to worship God. And the book of Hebrews, which was our passage last week, identifies Christians as foreigners and strangers on this earth, meaning that this earth is not our home, but we are on a journey home, a home that we long to reach. And so last week I made the claim that acknowledging that we are foreigners and strangers on this earth does not mean that we do not enjoy our lives here. In fact, it means that we will enjoy them more. Acknowledging and accepting that this world is not our home and that we are on a journey home means that we will stop putting unrealistic expectations on this world and each other to satisfy us. And it sets our eyes upon our heavenly home where we know our deepest longings will one day be satisfied by the one who created us. As the psalmist says, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. 
So much joy can come from acknowledging this life as a journey home, a journey to a home that we long for. And so you may say to me, this is all well and good, Sean, to acknowledge, but what does this mean practically? I'm glad you asked. I entitled this message today as Life in the Shadowlands. Shadowlands is a term coined by Lewis, of course, in the Narnia books that he uses to describe this current world. He used this term to illustrate the point that this world that we live in is only a shadow of the world to come a shadow of the world to come. The world that we see described in Revelation and the world that Jesus is preparing for us is the world to come. So I entitled this message Life in the Shadowlands because I want to answer the question of if we are journeying towards our true home as followers of Christ, what do we do until then and how do we find joy in our longing? Before we begin, I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for the fact that there is a home to long for, that there is a home to journey for, and we thank you that that was secured for us by the death and resurrection of your Son, the death for our sins and the resurrection where he conquered death and sin, that if we turn from our sins to faith in him, we can have this home, we can have this eternal life with you. So I pray today as we talk about life in this world, you help us to realize the joy that can be found in this world. Uh, but also help us to continue to set our eyes and fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, and all that you offer us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in our passage today, that, the Christian God, that for Christians, God has prepared for us an inheritance that can never spoil, uh, perish, or fade. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. We talked last week about this future inheritance and how it is what we long for. But we also see in Scripture that there are good things in this world. Like, yes, there are good things to come, but there are also good things in this world. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift in this life comes from above and it comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Throughout the creation narrative in Genesis, creation is often described by God as good. And so there is good and beauty to be found in this world. Travel, family, delicious food, great conversation, romance, laughter, coffee, bonfires, all of these things are good things. But they're not everything. They're just not everything. Many people choose to give their lives and pursue these things, but that is not what Christ wants us to do. When we acknowledge that we are on a journey home, it takes the pressure off of, uh, the pressure of full heart satisfaction off of these good things and helps us to enjoy them for what they are previews for the greater things that God has for. In other words, we take the good, if we make the good things in our life, in, in this life, our ultimate goal, we will become disappointed and bitter. But if we recognize the good thing in this world as good things in this world as pointing us to the better things that Christ has in store, it will increase our joy. I think an illustration will help uh, to illustrate this. And I know no better example than the pursuit of romance and all that goes along with that because that is one thing our culture loves to pursue for our salvation, security, identity, and acceptance. I have a great quote uh, that went along with this statement, but it was way too long for the sermon, so if you want the director's cut, see me after. But the point is our culture decided to, the culture at some point decided to stop their meaning and redemption of God and we turned towards romance and everything that goes along with romance. The problem is that it doesn't satisfy, and we all know it. Things may be incredible for a while when you're experiencing a romantic relationship or a physical relationship, but it all eventually ends. I believe that romantic relationships and friendships in this world are best, are best enjoyed not as ultimate fulfillment, but as pointing to our desire for a relationship with God where ultimate meaning, acceptance, redemption, and love can be found. I have an excerpt from this book, uh, from a book that uh, explains this beautifully. There's a book 
Blue Like Jazz. It was pretty famous in the Christian culture a few years ago. Uh, I read it, and honestly, I don't remember a lot of the book, but I always tell people that the romance chapter, the chapter on romance, is worth the price of the book, which is $3.99 on Kindle and Amazon. So, found that out this week. Uh, I would highly recommend reading the full chapter, but in this book, the author Don has a conversation with his friend Paul, who had recently gotten married. Don looked up to Paul and his wife Danielle because he thought that they had an ideal relationship. In this book, he includes an excerpt from a conversation they had where Paul gives him a realistic view of marriage. He explains to Don that he, Paul, had, a, had wrong expectations going into marriage. Don thought he was talking about the physical side, but Paul said this. This is their conversation. Paul says, I thought to be married was to be known, and it is. It is to be known. But Danielle can only know me so much. Do you know what I mean? Don says, there are things you haven't told her. I've told her everything. Then I don't know what you're saying. Paul pushed himself up on the little pitch of the roof and said, we all want to be loved, right? Right. And the scary thing about relationships, intimate relationships, is that if somebody gets to know us, the us that we usually hide, they might not love us. They might reject us. Right, I tell him. Paul continued, I'm saying that there is stuff I can't tell her, not because I don't want to, but because there aren't words. It's like we are separate people and there is no getting inside each other's uh, minds to read each other's thoughts, each other's beings. Marriage is amazing but it's because it's the closest two people can get, but they can't get all the way to that place of absolute knowing. Marriage is the most beautiful thing I've ever dreamed of, Dom, but it isn't everything. It isn't Mecca. Danielle loves everything about me. She accepts me and tolerates me and encourages me. She knows me better than anyone else in the world, but she doesn't know all of me, and I don't know all of her. And I never thought after I got married that there would still be something lacking. I always thought marriage, especially after I first met Danielle, would be the ultimate fulfillment. It is great, don't get me wrong, and I'm glad I married Danielle and I would be with her forever. But there are places in our lives that only God can go. The point he is making is that we as humans have a desire to be fully known, fully loved, and fully accepted. But we cannot do that with each other no matter how hard we try. I remember a scene from this show that I loved in high school uh, where it was all about this guy's romantic journey and there is a flash-forward moment where it's him, the main character, and his wife. It's a point where they're at dinner and he keeps trying to tell her stories, but she keeps finishing the stories for him because they've reached the point in their relationship where he know, she knows all of his stories. She knows everything about him. I was with a friend a couple weeks ago and he said that uh, it only takes two years to get there, so perhaps that's true. Uh, but so, uh, what we see there is that you can, we can know all things about the... Uh, but as Paul explained, it's not being fully known because no matter, how, uh, no matter how well they know our stories, they cannot fully understand it because they were not there. Now, I remember watching that clip and I always thought to myself, like, how great would it be to known the, be, be known in that way? How great would it be to have someone that knows every single one of your stories? But again, they don't know everything because they were not there. But the reason God can love us better than anyone else because he was. He has and always will be there. He's experienced everything. He gets it. He knows how you feel. He knows the memories better than we do. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And as the Chris Tomlin song beautifully strains, that God knows the depths of our hearts and yet he still loves us the same. So romantic love is incredible, but it only serves to point uh, to the love and acceptance that only God can give what we truly desire. Scripture says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind can conceive the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. We get into trouble when we confuse that and think that this world can fully satisfy our hearts. I love this quote so much. Lewis explains that when we take the desires and expectations of our hearts 
like our desires to be known and love and place them on the good things in this world like romance, the good things in this world turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. They are not the thing we truly desire. They're only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news never yet visited. And so as Christians, when we acknowledge that we are on a journey home to our true home, it frees us to enjoy the things of this world as a preview of greater things to come. So we can enjoy the scent while we look towards the flower. We can enjoy uh, the, the, we can hum along to the tune as we look forward to knowing the words to the song and we can hear the news and get excited for our final destination. The next thing that acknowledging we are on a journey home uh, does is that it gives us the strength to endure the sufferings of this world because they are purposeful and temporary. Our passage today tells us that there is an inheritance waiting for us, but it does not shy away from the difficulties of this world. We are told that now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is a very biblical way of saying that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And we should cling to hope in the midst of trials. God gives us two beautiful truths when it comes to suffering in this world, and this passage highlights both of them. We are promised that He is purposeful in our sufferings and that one day they will all come to an end and good will triumph over evil. We are not promised an explanation in this life for suffering we will experience, but we are promised purpose in it and final victory over it. I could talk for a while about this, but I really want to focus in on these two truths because they help us give us the strength to endure suffering. Knowing that God is purposeful in suffering and that He will one day end it and will triumph over evil helps us to endure suffering today because it gives us hope. There's an incredible quote by the theologian William Barclay who said that a man can endure anything as long as he has hope. For then he is walking not to the night, but to the dawn. Viktor Frankl, who was a famous psychologist who lived through the uh, Nazi concentration camp, said something similar. He was in the camp. that the people that made it, the people that survived, were the ones that believed that there was something greater out there, that they were working for a cause, that there was purpose behind their suffering. He famously stated that he who has a why, a reason to live, can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Meaning that those who believe their lives are purposeful and good will triumph over evil, and, and that good will triumph over evil will be able to endure anything. And in Christ, our hope is not wishful thinking. It's not crossing our fingers, hoping that things will turn out, that good will triumph over evil. It is knowing for securely and definitely that that will happen. As our passage says today, we are born into a living hope, a hope that is not dead, a hope that is living, and that is Jesus Christ. And finally, not only does our hope give us strength to endure tremendous suffering, but it also gives us the courage to give ourselves to a worthy cause and enter into the arena of this world to make a difference for Christ. Acknowledging that this world is not our home and that we are journeying towards our home makes this life better because it gives us the courage to take up the cause of Christ knowing that the work we will do will matter for eternity. We all have a lot, of, lot to complain about, especially now. But we also have been given so much. There's a scene in The Lord of the Rings where the main character, Frodo, who has been sent on a quest to destroy the Ring of Power and save humanity and yada yada, 
but he at one point complains to his mentor Gandalf that he wished the ring had never come to him and that all the difficulties they had faced had never happened. Gandalf responds to Frodo, but really ultimately to us, and says, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. This wisdom comes from one of my favorite parables of all Scripture, the parable of the talents. This parable tells of a master who gives a certain amount of talents to a few servants and then goes off for a while. And then after a long while, he comes back and he sees how they used the talents that he had given them. And if they used them well, they were rewarded. And if they didn't, he punished them. In this parable, the master is God and the servants are us. The parable reflects our reality that we have been given so much by God and the question posed to us is what will we do with what we have been given? Especially here in America, we have been given so much. And so, of course, Christ calls us to share the life-changing news of the Gospel, but it's important to note that He's not very specific about what that would look like. The Great Commission says that we should share the Gospel as we are going. The two greatest commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor. And while Christ gives us a few examples of what that looks like, He leaves it to us to fill in the blanks. And I think this is what gets so exciting and makes me so passionate for the Gospel message is one of Christ sacrificing Himself for the sins of the world and we are called to be like Him by sharing the Gospel and giving our lives for the glory of God and the good of souls. The question is, with your unique talents and where you are uniquely planted, what does this look like for you? My friend shared with me this story of this person, and neither of us were able to find the name of this person, so I apologize for that. But he heard of this insect in Africa and other countries called the guinea worm. I won't go into details of what the guinea worm does, it's, it's, it, or too deep details. Basically what it is, it's a worm that burrows into your skin, and that's about all you need to know. Not good not good. And so this person heard about this guinea worm and the disease it caused and how it was causing so many people in these countries to suffer. And he said, no more of that. No more of that. This doesn't need to be on this earth. And so over the past 30 plus years, he gave his life to seeing the guinea worm eradicated. And so over the past 30 plus years, it's been eradicated from 17 countries and incidences of this disease went from 3.5 million in 1986 to 54 in 2019. My question to my Christian brothers and sisters is on your journey to your true home, what will you say no more of in your community? What will you give your life to do for the sake of the Gospel to show the world the love of Christ? Many have chosen to say no more to drug overdoses or no more to racial injustice. We have friends in Kenya that have said no more to people without clean drinking water. What will we choose to do with, and, uh, to share the love of Christ and advance the Gospel? What will we choose to do with all that God has given us? Whatever we choose to do in order to share the Gospel, be encouraged that what is Christ will matter forever. Keller has this beautiful quote where he sums it up beautifully and says, if this, this life is all there is, then everything, and there is no God, then everything will eventually burn up in the death of the sun and no one will be even be around to remember anything that has ever happened. Everyone will be forgotten, nothing to do will make any difference, and all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. Meaning that without God, sharing the gospel and even the greatest humanitarian achievements will not matter because everything will go away in the death of the sun.
He continues and says, unless there is God, if the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. This is how acknowledging that this world is a journey to our true home makes life so much more enjoyable and so much more meaningful. It means we can enjoy the things of this world because they point us to the greater things that God has in store for us. It means we can endure suffering because it is purposeful and temporary. And it means we can take up the cause of Christ knowing that our work will matter forever. So as we journey towards our true home in Christ, let us take heart from our passage today that says, though you have not seen Him or what He has in store for us, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with inexpressible joy. And of course, the reason that this journey home is also so enjoyable is because we get to invite others onto this journey. So if you are interested in following if you're interested in your work mattering, if you're interested in in working towards this home that we long for and receiving the free gift of salvation that he bought with the death and secured with his resurrection, please feel free to reach out to Pastor Josh, myself, or any of our board members. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the meaning that you bring into our lives. We thank you for the fact that there are good things in this world that can be enjoyed. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, so much that we can endure suffering because we know there is a purpose behind it and that one day it all will end when we see you face to face. So I pray you help us to do the work that you call us to do. Help us to share your gospel with others. And may we please uh, learn more about you every single day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.